And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Panic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here as always, the gang is back together again. I got my guy Fred Katz out east, Slater out west. Gentlemen, what's going on? Just watching some, uh, yeah, we're just we're just watching some, some awful basketball like the rest <laughs> of the world. That ain't going to get the listeners excited, Fred. All right. It's not just awful basketball we're talking about. Here's the breakdown today. Uh, Slater is out in Dallas. Uh, we, we have him for a relatively short amount of time before he jumps off to Maverick shoot around. You got game four coming up tonight. This pot will be coming out hours before then. We will certainly talk West Finals and look ahead a little bit with the assumption. Uh, history tells us the Warriors will finish this. We'll talk about what that means. Obviously going to talk East Finals. Fred has some takes on that front. Celtics Heat, they cannot figure out what it, what they want to be. It's an identity crisis on both sides. Uh, off-season news, guys. Uh, we got Minnesota coming and grabbing Tim Conley. They're, they're esteemed, widely you know highly regarded, widely respected uh, Tim Conley, head of their front office, headed to the Timberwolves now. That's Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lohr, new owners of the T-Wolves, you know, going big on that front. Lakers coaching search continues, uh, Charlotte as well. So lots to get into today, gentlemen, though we are going to start with these East finals where I guess, Fred, here's how I'm going to throw it to you. As I'm watching the game last night on television, uh, I'm home at the moment. I'm thinking to myself, I don't normally look through the prism of like, if I were Adam Silver, but if I were Adam Silver, I would be frustrated by these East finals because He is a guy who, before he was commissioner, before he was deputy commissioner, was very uh, influential at NBA entertainment. He knows TV well. He knows entertainment well. It is not ideal to have games unofficially be over after a quarter. And, And you find yourself in this series getting amped up to watch these games. And then after a quarter... Sitting there thinking, huh, what's on Netflix? Uh, what's going on at HBO Max? Like, what am I doing now? It's it's well, it's wild, though. And, and lo and behold, it's 2-2. I'll give you a quick example before Fred breaks down the series. But, yeah, you know, I'm watching this series, obviously, at this point, thinking, like, you know, who are the Warriors playing? You know, schematics, which right, guys right, right. are playing well. And yesterday, 
by halftime, you know, people within, you know, around Dallas who are all the same as me, right? You know, like covering this this West Finals, definitely interested in the East Finals. They're like, let's all go to dinner. You know, let's meet up for dinner. <laughs> Do we need a place for the TV? Eh, not really. Celtics are up 30 right now, you know. I watched a Marilyn Monroe documentary. That's that's what has happened uh, on this side. That's all you got to know. Fred, what do you got? Well, you want to hear a fun Adam Silver NBA entertainment fact is because of his work at NBA entertainment. If you go to the IMDB page of like Mike, Adam Silver is listed as a producer. Wow. On that movie. Nice. Which is a, a true NBA niche fact that will not even impress people at cocktail parties. That's going to get you say it to someone right at cocktail. There. You say that to someone at a cocktail party, you actually get forcibly removed from the cocktail party. Right, right. Just like I am trying to forcibly remove my brain while watching the Eastern Conference Finals. But you uh, said you got thoughts. I do. I do have thoughts. So so Justin, Justin Fan tweeted this out after the game last night, just to put into perspective how how weirdly uncompetitive the last week and a half or so of playoff basketball have just been. All around over the last this is from Justin fan on Twitter over the last 17 playoff games, there have been seven combined minutes of clutch time. That's it. Nothing's been close. Right. And it's just incredible to me to see that the three O series has somehow been more competitive than the series. Oh, that's yeah. two two. It's very weird. Uh, I kind of think Boston's going to win the series, though, and not just because of after last night, uh, not just because of the momentum. What do you guys make of Bam out of Bios series? Because it's I think been- Robert Williams is killing him, and yeah, that's the thing. If you look at takeaways in the series, the Celtics got boat raced without Robert Williams uh, when he was out. Excuse me. And and he's been fantastic. And Bam has basically had three bad games out of four. Um, to kind of pound your other point real quickly about how hard this series is to handicap. Last night, I, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit because Jeff Van Gundy on the telecast made a comment, and I'm paraphrasing, where he essentially framed Boston as the his likely champion uh, in these playoffs. And Mark Jackson did check him a little bit and essentially reminded him like, you mean that team that's trying right now in real time to even up a series? You know, like you can't figure out who's who. And so there are nights when Boston looks great. Um, but Bam is struggling. And you combine that with Jimmy Butler not being healthy. Kyle still finding his way back from the hamstring. I feel like things like you alluded to, Fred, are swinging Boston's direction. The home court edge is obviously, you know, something that is nice for my the Heat to have in their back pocket. But, you know, if I had to pick one right now, I think I'd be picking Boston, too. So Bam in game. This is crazy. Game one, Bam took four shots. Game two, Bam took six shots. Game three, Bam took 22 shots. And then game four, Bam took five shots again. It's just been a strange trend for him. You mentioned Robert Williams. One way they used Robert Williams in game four, which I thought was really interesting. They had Horford guard Bam. And and they have Robert Williams guarding PJ Tucker and not 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 guarding him. I don't want to say he wasn't guarding him, but but he could help off of him right. however the heck he wanted. And one of the ways that that impacts Bam is just 
Bam really was able to just create these lanes, uh, diving off of screens on pick and rolls and all that. When he was getting up all those shots, he shot 15 to 22 in game three. And a lot of those were just set a screen, dive to the rim, get something around floater range, and you could do something there that helps him get post positioning. It just helps him get deep into the defense. And Robert Williams is basically just diving into the lane and taking away those driving lanes. And now you got Al Horford in a drop. You got Robert Williams coming over and helping. And those are just two excellent top-notch defensive big men. You're, you're not getting by both of those guys. And it's just pushing Bam out to the perimeter where he just, you know, he's, that's not his comfort zone as much. And uh, yeah, that Boston defense is, is, is dangerous and they communicate unbelievably when they're at their best. And like, it was absolutely swarming in game four. Not to get like into a preview that is probably still a week away, but you know, I have definitely been watching this series, believing it's going to be Boston too. And at this point, kind of more thinking about matchups with the Warriors. Um, and you know, I can remember the regular season game where like Robert Williams was just a terror for the Warriors to deal with a little bit like Jaron Jackson was in that second round against the Grizzlies for the Warriors. And then now that they've gotten to this Dallas series uh, and Fred from watching the Memphis series could probably attest to this, but like without the rim protection, Dallas just doesn't have rim protection. The Warriors have just been parading to the rim. And early in the series, you talk to people on the Warriors, they're like, oh man, feels free. Like this, you know, just because there isn't that type of rim protector. And again, Robert Williams to me is a guy that can, would really potentially like muck up the Warriors offense. But at the same time, Robert Williams got knee soreness every game. He had, he, yeah. he rushed back from a torn meniscus like half the time. Like, you know, I feel like going into every game, we're uncertain about his status. So, you know, we're talking about another two, two and a half weeks or so of, of high leverage basketball for Robert Williams ahead of him. Like, does he hold a up? Long probably, series is not good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Does he hold up is probably maybe the biggest question I have going into Warriors Celtics if that's what it is and Marcus Smart too who didn't play in game four and I mean, he would obviously just be so important guarding you know every single player on Chase the Warriors I mean that same exactly. game that I'm mentioning Robert Williams just like block you know coming over weak side blocking a bunch of shots is when Marcus Smart like played wrestle ball and uh, sprained Steph Curry's foot really kind of threw the Warriors off for about a month since we're doing, uh, you know, kind of the, the solving mysteries of the East Finals and, and Fred, you had thrown Bam out there. What do we make of Jason Tatum and, and the the Jekyll and Hyde act in the last couple of games? It's very weird. Uh, I think in some ways it can just be explained by he's still only 24 years old. And sometimes that's what 24 year olds do. The Celtics did a much better job getting to the middle of the floor in game four. And I feel like a lot of that stuff starts with Tatum just being able to to get middle. Uh, and and I, I feel like that was part of his his absence in game three as well. I don't know. Slater, what what do you what do you make of it? Well, I mean, as we're mentioning strange injuries, how about the shoulder injury that he had that you know, it looked like he was getting carried off for the season. That whole series, everyone <laughs> is maybe out, maybe in. It's like the only WWE, thing you know for sure. And they're back. Yeah. Lowry is like dealing with the hamstring, maybe out, maybe in. Jimmy's out, then he's back in. 
Smart gets hurt and then he goes into the tunnel and he comes back six seconds later, but then he's out the next game and Robert Williams is is whether he's listed as questionable or not. He's just always questionable. It's everyone in that series is like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. The only thing you know is that six seconds into the game, it's going to be a 23 point deficit for somebody. <laughs> it's unbelievable. What did what did Miami start like? Oh, of of 14. 14. Yeah. Oh, of 14. They didn't hit a shot until almost eight minutes well, into the game. I've never seen a team have a point for that long. I don't know. There's no way that, any, that, that I guess you could track it. I want to know the longest that a team has had a point in the history of basketball. It might have been last night. Having having one one point is honestly worse than being scoreless <laughs> because it's 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 teasing you. <laughs> It's it's taunting you. You could call a technical foul on that that one point just for pure taunting. It's just reminding you that you haven't made a basket. Oh, I love it. I love as, it. As far as Tatum goes, to me, he just, you know, and we've always heard he's of kind of a little bit of like the Kobe mindset. And um, I think he just takes tough, at times, inefficient shots. He could be very efficient on them. He's an incredible jump shooter, but I just I think there are some games. What did he go in that game three loss? At one point, I think he was like three of fourteen. I don't know what he finished at, but um, he's just. I just think there could be cold nights from him because he's at times wanting to get to the you know two dribble eighteen footer, or he's taking contested jumpers all game, and like he to me for his size and his physical profile doesn't like bully to the rim probably as much as he should he just kind of wants to get to that the pretty jumper and it is a pretty jumper but i think that could lead to inefficient nights and if if you play him well defensively in miami at least half the series has looked like it has had that type of defense um you make him inefficient you make boston not that threatening of an offense no no question and on the other end you know miami needs tyler hero back they just they're limited in terms of guys who can create off the dribble and Jimmy again, Jimmy, Jimmy being battered and bruised. And I think it's, you know, I mean, we know Jimmy's wiring, like to see the way he's struggling. I think it's a fairly significant knee situation that he is fighting through. Uh, before we move on and talk West finals. Yeah, I think, I think by the way, for what it's worth, that that's something that really affects the Celtics bigs too. Cause like when Jimmy runs pick and rolls, they can, they can drop back. And so often that's a way that, that Jimmy Butler ends up just getting to the line all the time. Like in game one, when he just was was getting fouled every single time around the rim, he just he sees space instead of hitting pull-ups, he just attacks that space, right. uses it to get momentum, and then he gets to the rim and he bests you around the rim and you have to foul him or he creates contact. That's that's just how he thrives. The fact that he was not just consistently attacking those open spaces is just very telling on Jimmy Butlery. No question. You know? It's disappointing, too, because I love this matchup. Like, when healthy, I want to see this again. Um, There's so many layers to it. The physicality is amazing. The toughness, even the coaching, you know. I'm loving watching Ime Udoka on the playoff stage. You know, they had him mic'd up the other night, and, and, um, you know, you got some good gems in there. He made a comment about how when Bam went off in Game 3, you know, not only did his guys certainly want to stop that, but he kind of a vague reference to how, you know, they heard some of the things that were being said. I don't know what he's referencing there, but like they have a chip on their shoulder. That's kind of how they compete. So I love the series. It's just too bad that it's just this hodgepodge of of health uh, stuff in and out. Um, you know, weird, weird series uh, to finish off the uh, the little factoid that I was obsessed with earlier, guys. So 
I, I got the play-by-play in front of me. Miami goes scoreless until the 7.56 mark. They had one point from 7.56 after an Adebayo free throw. 7.56 all the way to 3.33. So they, they had a point damn near nine minutes into the game. Um, that was something else. They're, they're down 18-1. to 1. So with that in mind, I'm sure they will come out and be up 30 after the first quarter in, uh, in game five. On the other side of this break, we are going to chat uh, Mavs Warriors. we got to make sure to get Slater's thoughts before he's got to bounce, and we'll see where that one is going. We will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, gentlemen, West Finals, Mr. Slater. Um, Fred said it earlier, I think it was you, Fred, that like it, it is weird to say that you know a team that's up 3-0 has had the more competitive series. Of the two, but that's 100% the case. The Warriors, you know, kind of barely snuck out to a 2 nothing lead and then were fairly dominant in game three. Um, you know, but you're you're there, you're seeing it every day. What What is the state of affairs with that team you cover? Yeah, game two was the swing game in the series. Dallas hits tw- 21 threes. Luka has 42. Brunson has 31. Draymond Green played what he would even call maybe his worst game of the season. And... Dallas lost. Lack poise, too. Not to interrupt you. Apologies. But, like, that one actually surprised me. Like, Draymond's fire, his competitiveness is is, is germane to what the Warriors have always done. I found, I'm watching that game going, man, Steve's got to take him off the court. Like, his lack of poise was hurting them. I think there was a point where it was um, he was almost pushing the referees to take him off the court. And he's 100%. done that in the past where sometimes yeah. on his worst nights, it's like. But the negativity the was almost contagious. Like, I thought it was hurting him. Yeah. It was To me, it was almost like. Might have been a favorite of the Warriors. You get the ejection. You get the emotional toll of the ejection that maybe boosts them a little bit. And the reality of that game, Kavon Looney, was they were better with Kavon Looney on the floor. Kavon Looney's having this awesome series right now. A little bit out of nowhere. He had 21 that night, which doesn't sound like a lot, but he's never scored 20 in a basketball game. It's uh, like me or you having 21. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's like a a 60 ball from Steph Curry if the Warriors are getting 20 (laughs) from from Kavon Looney. Uh, But yeah, and then to me, the emotional, I guess, burn of that game too, where like Dallas knows they have to win that game, hitting 21 threes and everything else that went on. Like that is not a game they can lose. They go home and the Warriors, you talk to the Warriors and they just, I mean, they're such veterans in the playoff series realm and they know like, hey, we've been there before where you lose, you know, you lose a game on the road, you should have won, you go home and you're still kind of feeling the tolls. They're like, if we go out hard in game three, you can basically get the kill shot and that's what they did to me they just came out very much it was a very mature approach they're so organized right now defensively it's a little bit of what i wrote about but i've never seen them or any team really 
change defenses play to play like they're doing where Mike Brown's up almost every play. Like, all right, we're going zone this time. All right, we're going box in one. All right, back to man. All right, you're hedging. Let's blitz this time. And it's like Jason Kidd had even mentioned this within one of his press conferences. He was impressed. Like, you know, they're changing defenses without having to call timeout. A lot of times in the NBA, it's like if you're going to zone, it's out of a timeout. You're sitting there on the sidelines and discuss, hey, you know, you're going to be here in the zone. You're going to be here. No, the Warriors are like, Play to play. Draymond said they have one or two guys, him, Looney, sometimes if it's Otto Porter on the court, that look over. He called himself a middle linebacker, essentially, looking to the defensive coordinator. This is the defense we're running. And they just keep switching up looks, you know, play to play, where the Mavericks don't know going down the court. All right, where are they going to now? And they just believe that has just taken Dallas out of its rhythm. Uh, and I, to me, that's where they've won this series is, is just the work they've done on the defensive end. That's the greatest respect that you can give a great player where in, in, in terms of Doncic, I mean, like when you when you just say we have to shake up everything <laughs> to the degree of we're not only going to try so many different defenders on him that we're going to throw like Moses Moody on him at one point. We're going to we're also just switching up coverages all the time and improving everything. And it's honestly the greatest respect you can give a defensive player to where you can trust someone like Draymond Green to be such an incredible communicator and organizer that he is just going to command the whole thing. Uh, you know, like you said, just from play to play throughout the course of a game. Like it's 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 pretty incredible on both ends. You know, I would also say it's it's a credit to their the way they 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 changed up this season where so Mike Brown had Mike Brown had actually been running the offense the last couple of years. I know he has this crazy defensive reputation. It's why Sacramento hired him. But he'd been running the offense. And then this summer, Jaron Collins leaves and they give the defense back to Mike Brown. And within a summer conversation with Steve Kerr, they talked about needing to vary their looks. And they they discussed a, a, a game in Orlando the season before where they had just randomly did a triangle and two. And it had kind of worked. And they're like, you know, we need to kind of implement that more often. Not the triangle and two necessarily, but that look, box and one, a two-one-one zone, a, you know, different type of zones. Um, and they decided throughout the season, like you you'd watch them in the season, and it wasn't it wasn't as, you know, relentless like they're doing the Luca game to game, but like they would randomly during the season, like Mike Brown would come out and go, Hey, let's go, let's go zone for five possessions. And to me, they just practiced that a lot. And because of that, they were just prepped for this type of series. And I just, it, it they it, they weren't doing this to Memphis, right? Memphis, they just played pretty much, especially when Ja Morant was there, they played basically the same type of base defense the whole time. But what they did during the regular season, I think, prepped them for this West Finals. What struck There's something too, to be done. Oh, sorry, Sam. I was going to say real quick, what struck me too about the, the Mavs reaction to game three, um, I found interesting from a, the mental side of the game because – they sounded, and they, I'm um, thinking Luca and Jason Kidd, like they they very quickly turned the page and had the talking points then become that, and I'm, again, paraphrasing, but like, oh, this has been a great experience. Nobody thought that we were supposed to be here. We're learning so much. Luca was being real deferential, like, this is a great team, these Warriors. And you're kind of going, wait a minute, you were like just on the edge of starting to scare them in game two. And then you get home, you can play the old card about a series doesn't start until you somebody loses at home. That hadn't happened yet. They had um, just come back from 2-0 against Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. I, I was clearly wrong about this. If you go back to the Phoenix series, I remember telling people when the Suns were up 2-0, like Dallas has is, is, is been good in these playoffs. 
but the Suns have something bigger to play for. And Dallas, from a human standpoint, reaches a point one would think where, where you know, there's a happy to be there component that might come back to bite you. Well, that wasn't the case against the Suns. They got it done and and figured that thing out after they were down to nothing. Um, so I was a little surprised to hear some of that happy to be there vibe after game three. There was there were people in the Warriors that had the same opinion of yeah. you. Like, did you see the quotes coming out of last night? Like, so, kind of sounded like exit interviews, right? It was yes. like, we learned a lot. It was very good to be in this moment. Like, you know, these type of teams like us need to go through the trials to learn and then come Is there back any better. They, they're bullshitting. Is this a Jason Kidd ploy? I mean, I would say this. I think the Warriors, and, and again, I don't know when people are listening to this. The game may have already happened, but I think the Warriors are ripe to get beat tonight. I do think there might be a little bit of foot off the pedal and and knowing that they have the game five at home as the hammer. But I'm not sure Dallas is like, you know, at least the way I read those quotes is like Dallas looked ready for their offseason. Maybe they're maybe, like you said, they're playing a little bit like lying in the weeds, but. You know, usually at least the messaging publicly, you know, you can have those quotes after you lose the series. The messaging publicly should have been like, we can be the first team to come back from 3-0. Like, it starts with one game. We're just going to take it game to game. Right. That type of stuff. Uh, there there was definitely surprised by by uh, from the Warriors side about the Dallas quotes coming out of the game. So, for- you know, Dallas has thrown it in if Theo Pinson shows up with an unbleached white shirt for game four. <laughs> well, I believe Warriors when are wearing it's like an off white. You know, it's <laughs> I believe so Warriors are green. wearing Warriors are wearing blue tonight. And I think I saw somebody tweet like Theo Pinson is going through his closet right now looking for the best of his blue shirts. <laughs> Uh, for the listeners who, like Slater alluded to, might be listening after the Warriors game, uh, and who knows what happens there, uh, let's take a quick moment, guys, to, to, and we are getting ahead of ourselves, but I want your big picture thoughts on the path the Warriors are on, meaning we are going to assume for a moment here that they finish this series, um, and then because we don't even have clarity about Boston-Miami, who the opponent would be, I, I, I wondered what thoughts you might have on just kind of the historical significance of what the Warriors are trying to accomplish here. It's an incredibly unique, potentially an incredibly unique, you know, kind of capper to their run. They've had this dynasty and then they had the two year absence, you know, injury related, you know, Toronto uh, earns that chip, knocks them out, but obviously no KD, no clay Milwaukee wins the title. And then here we are again, you know, Draymond has wasted no time recently. I think this was on his podcast, essentially framing it this way, like walking that line of saying that like nobody's really beat us. And he made a point to say Toronto did, but like that idea that nobody pushed them out of that space. Um, it is an interesting one because if they finish this job and if they are champions again and there's no Durant and there's a kid in Jordan Poole and I say a kid because he was a child when this run began, um, you know, back in 2015 with these new pieces with Kevon Looney emerging, um, you know, go all the way down the line. Like, you know, what, how would that hit you guys from a historical significance standpoint? It, it almost feels like to me, it feels a little, if they win, uh, or even if they don't, they make the finals or whatever. It feels a little 2013, 2014 Spursy where, where that, that 2014 Spurs title, I think you can make an argument that's the most important title for what their legacy ended up being with the way that we look back on it. Sure, like they they got 99, they got 03, they got 05, they got 07 when those those core guys were in their prime, right? 
But that was the transition of those guys, you know, Parker and Ginobili and Duncan are all still great. And now there's the new guy, Kawhi, who's going to have his comeuppance. And and this is his emergence. And he wins finals MVP in 14. And it's it's almost like that's that's the bridge. And it's also, all right, these guys didn't just win in their prime. They also did it on the back end. It gave them one extra title. And we could say, all right, the Spurs did it for 15 years, 99 to 14. It was just that was the Spurs era, right? Uh, and, and this is a shorter amount of time than that, but it almost feels like a similar thing where, where the Warriors were so dominant with that, with the original crew and, and then KD comes in and they're obviously even better, uh, and, and they fall off a little bit. And now this same core plus some new additions with young guys and different role players are, are having a, another unbelievable run through the postseason. It, it almost feels like when we look back on this, it'll be like, yeah, this core just won in so many different ways and sustained it for so long. And and look, when they got the the 2022 title or the 2022 finals appearance, it, it just it almost feels like that to me. Well, let's just take the conference component first, because that's the one we, we basically believe that they've essentially clinched at this point up 3-0. They're going to be in the Steve Kerr era, in this dynasty era, 18-0 and in the West playoffs. They've never lost a West playoff series. Um, they're about to go to their you know sixth out of eight years, and the two years they were away, they weren't in the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, they have just dominated the conference over this decade at this point. Um, and then wide range, you know, if they win a title, if they don't, um, you know, I think this is an important one for Steph legacy wise. Uh, obviously he had, you know, and, and not just Steph, but Steph is, I guess, like kind of the Tim Duncan, if we're, if we're making this first oh, comparison yeah. of this situation and the fact that, you know, he welcomed Kevin Durant in and to me that, that obviously said a, a lot about him, but I do think that has dragged, uh, you know, not necessarily question marks about those two titles, but people always have that like you needed Durant to to kind of like extend the dynasty, and this is them saying like didn't necessarily need him. You know, it was nice to have, and it was nice to. Uh, and what's wild about that is, you know, and I get that they absolutely blew it in 2016, but they won 73 games. You know what I mean? Like if you talk about the premise of Steph Curry needing anything or needing anyone beyond what they already had to be dominant. They had literally just turned in the most dominant <clears throat> regular season in the history of the game and then blew the three, one lead. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, you could go person by person and how this title would, uh, <laughs> just cement and stamp an even greater, bigger legacy than they already have. And I mean, look, there's hall of famers dotted everywhere. They could, they could blow this three Oh series lead. And while the internet jokes would, you know, just <laughs> go aflame. Maybe, like they're yeah, all maybe. still making the Hall of Fame, right? Right. right. Um, but you know, it is it's a testament to the longevity. You know, Clay Thompson, how about his return from the injuries? And like it's not like he's had some spectacular season, but I mean he's been important in key moments. Game six, Clay to close out Memphis and yep. uh, you know, that stamps him. I mean, Draymond just like, you know, we didn't know if he could get back to this defensive level that he has this season. I think most would agree when healthy, he's been the best defensive player in the world. Um, Steve Kerr, uh, this will be what? L let's count him up. I think this will be his ninth NBA title if they can win it this season, if we're including as a player. Uh, and then, you know, the Bob Myers, Joe Lacob, very ambitious win now, develop now plan that wasn't necessarily the most popular locally or, you know, at times within the veteran community of the Warriors of like, you know, we've got three lottery picks over a two year span. Like, 
use them to get win now assets and they said no yeah, go you get know? bradley beal or something you know yeah, yeah. and yeah. it was no they're gonna get james wiseman Pickett to this point has not worked out still potentially could uh down the line uh Kaminga, who i think does look like you know a real hit in the lottery at seven but has not played any meaningful minutes in this series moses moody at 14 who by the way, randomly now is in the rotation of this series, but generally those three lottery picks, which are huge assets in the NBA, we all know a second pick, seventh pick, 14th pick, have basically been very bit parts or non-entities in this playoff run, but still look like they're relayering the future under well. And then Jordan Poole, they get him at the 28th pick. And then I think the move that we should talk about more now, and Steve Curry yesterday at his press availability said is the key to all of this, is the Andrew Wiggins trade. I mean, it is a blockbuster grand slam at this point. I mean, to and and you go back to the origin of that. That is Kevin Durant leaving for Brooklyn. The Warriors saying, we don't want to lose that salary asset. It's going to cost a ton of money. This is Joe Lake of Greenlighting, a crazy tax bill, and saying, get a sign and trade with Durant. Throw a first-round pick with KD to, to get it done. And Durant had to agree to it, too, uh, to get D'Angelo Russell on a max which, by the way, I think they even knew at the time was not a very good fit, but their belief was down the line. Minnesota was a little obsessed with getting D'Angelo Russell, but when D'Angelo Russell agrees to the max with the Warriors, he's on a helicopter in free agency with the Timberwolves brass, and it created a really awkward moment, but like, you know, the Warriors know the entire time. At the end of the day, I think they could probably trade D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota, and eventually it comes to that first trade deadline. They swing that deal, get a... Uh, you know, an extra first round pick from Minnesota with Wiggins. That pick becomes Kaminga, who I think is a big part of the future. And Wiggins, who, you know, that is a salary for salary swap at the time that even the even the people that believed it was a at least a tilt towards a good deal for the Warriors were like, yeah, you know, Wiggins and Russell are kind of, you know, even value. I mean, D'Angelo Russell basically in in his first round series, Jordan McLaughlin looked like he should play over him in, in the final game of that series. Whereas Andrew Wiggins is the point man defending Luka Doncic. He had 27 and like dunk of the playoffs the other night and is just having a renaissance season. Obviously, he made the all-star uh, game. Uh, and that trade now turns into a seismic trade, I think, in this little like mini era of of the Warriors and really the NBA if the Warriors go on to win it all. Well, don't forget, they got Kuminga out of that trade too. Yeah, and like if if Kuminga ends up becoming part of the next generation of Warriors as they they string out the success over a number of years, and I think he could be really good. Like he was the only rookie this year with an above average usage and a sixty percent true shooting. It's like incredibly impressive for a rookie to to shoot as often he's, as he did. He's going to be good. As he was. You could tell. He's, he's going, going to be good. good. He's that efficient and he's he's that young and he's that athletic and he's that long. Like that's going to be a good player. Which, uh, which by the way, and this can lead into I know a conversation Sam probably wanted to have, but I think that that trade probably lost Gerson Rosas his or at least was one of the factors. Yeah, there was some other yeah. stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, there there was, definitely was. There was a couple other <laughs> but, Well, I would say this it now. at least has has devolved Minnesota to the point where like I feel like they felt like they needed to go home run hunting with their you know basketball operations person and that's why I think For that's sure. why Tim Conley's there. That is a, a good natural uh, segue there, brother. Let's take the last ad break. On the other side, we're going to find a way to go from the Wiggins conversation to Minnesota. We mentioned earlier they had a front office change. Tim Conley of the Nuggets, the orchestrator of their. Uh, squad, the Jokic-led group, uh, is now with the T-Wolves. Uh, we'll get into that and much more on the other side of the break. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, guys, um, let's go from Wiggins to Wolves, but I do want to finish the Wiggins thing. In general, I would say just it's, you know, you mentioned Slater earlier, the uh, the, the Steph Curry legacy talk and the Warriors legacy talk. And, and I do think that, one of the things that that always needs to get mentioned is that the culture that they created, they all did it together. It is so inclusive that it allows, I think, you know, a guy like Wiggins to come at the stage of his career that he was at and to find his way into a space like this where it's not, I mean, the jokes are always going to be there about him getting on the all-star team. He deserved it at that point of voting, but he's not generally regarded as an all-star, but He's now, as Steph often says, he's a winning basketball player and he's a two-way player and he's a guy who, you know, has been put in a situation where he can succeed and he doesn't have too much on his back. And the irony is he got a lot on his back. Like he's incredibly important to what they do, but he doesn't have to be the guy. Um, And it's been honestly kind of fun to watch. Yeah, and to me, and again, this can maybe wrap up the the warrior side of the conversation, but 
as we're talking about this and, you know, like Fred mentioned the 15 Spurs title and it was like kind of the, the capper for just to show what the Spurs had been over that long run. I don't think the Warriors are done. I mean, the way they have pretty boldly relayered the roster under it and, and the way Steph looks like he's going to age, which I would say is pretty great. Uh, Clay, you'd think would probably be better year two coming back from an Achilles and ACL than year one. Jordan Poole on the rise. Um, Draymond Green still under contract. Andrew Wiggins under contract for one more season. The rookies, Kaminga year two, Moody year two, Wiseman potentially entering the mix. Like this... If Joe Lacob is willing to pay the tax bill and Joe Lacob is making a ton of money in these playoffs, so I, I I generally get the sense he will be. I think that we're talking about maybe another second run from these Warriors. No way it's going to be as dominant as the first one. There's no Durant that's going to enter the mix, but this is not the end of the Warriors. This might be the start of a second wave, really. Yeah, they're going to be a tough out for a long time and even tougher as these guys find themselves, the young guys as players. You know, I think... For sure, that's it's gotten them into title contention again. Um, you know they're gonna have some bills to pay here coming up. We got the Jordan Poole extension this summer, things like that. But but Lakeham and that group has shown time and again the willingness to pay. I am gonna pivot from there, guys, and and dive into the Minnesota stuff. Uh, and and speaking of massive amounts of money, um, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lohr, of course, are the soon to be lead owners of the Timberwolves. Uh, Glenn Taylor is still shepherding the organization during this transition time. Um, but they decide, you know, they, they went from, we mentioned earlier, Gerson Rosas, who headed for the exits. Then we got Sachin Gupta, you know, very good reputation. The guy who I think, you know, was doing a good job. Um, Slater's got a bounce. Slater, thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Now you got to get to shoot around here. We will yep, see you next see week. You guys. Yep, yep. Um, so, Fred, you know, they... Folks wondered if Sachin Gupta would ultimately be the one to head up the front office. Um, Rodriguez and Lore with Taylor clearly decide to go kind of executive hunting and go bigger. Um, Tim Conley, you know, first and foremost is going to be the guy that that gets all the the well-deserved credit for drafting Nikola Jokic 41st overall. You're finding, you know, an MVP in the second round. That's outrageous. Um, you know, some good picks from there. Built, you know, a team that has got the kind of sustainability uh, and an impact one healthy that the Timberwolves have not been able to find. They pay him five, it's five years, $40 million, um, some potential, it seems, for an ownership stake, which is extremely unique when it comes to executive contracts. Um, you know, the Tim Conley situation, before I throw it to you, you know, this had been kind of, you know, percolating the last couple of years uh, when you were covering the Wizards. You know, the Wizards came after Tim Conley, that's his hometown. He looked at that very seriously. I think it got fairly close to happening. And and the the takeaway the whole time was that with the Nuggets, the Kroenke family and, and you know Stan Kroenke at the head of it have long been known to not necessarily be willing to pay on staff, um, which is a, always a little puzzling. And for the fans, I'm sure frustrating because you're talking about a family that owns multiple franchises and, and certainly isn't hurting. But um, you know, there's always been the question of whether or not the Nuggets would pay to keep somebody like a Tim Conley. And, and you know, this price tag is extremely high. They obviously didn't get there. And, and Tim, you know, I'm happy for him. I think nobody can blame him for, for you know, for going for that kind of opportunity. Um, and, and now he'll be the guy to try to take, you know, this Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns led organization into the new uh, new era. Yeah. I mean, look, the difference between now and what happened with the pursuit with the Wizards in 2019 
was, I mean, look, Tim Connolly is, he's from Baltimore. His first job was with the Wizards organization. He came up through that organization, eventually left for, I think it was New Orleans. And it's not just him who grew up like that, right? Like he, both of his brothers also came up through the Wizards organization and, and both working in front offices. So that's, that's like a, that's an organization where they had a lot of ties and a lot of familiarity as just a family in general. The big difference between that situation, which I went into it reporting, like everyone I spoke to in that situation thought Tim Connolly was taking that job. Right. And and I, I don't know exactly what the figures were that the Wizards offered. It wasn't this. Right. It was not eight million a year. And to give and people the Nuggets, quick context, Fred, you know this. As far as like the pay scale, you know, you hear fairly routinely about GMs making two, three million. Um you know, I'd say that's probably on the lower end, but you know, the Phil Jackson, like when Phil went to the Knicks, you know, I believe it was for 10 a year, you know, Greg Popovich. I think it was for, yeah, for 12. Was I it think. 12? Okay. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, yeah. it's names like that. Greg Popovich, you hear, and, and Pop obviously has a dual role coach in front office, but you know, that's when you're getting into the double digits, millions, you know, when you're talking eight figures um, to have a guy like Tim Conley, you know, who is as successful as he is, as he has been, doesn't have that kind of profile. Uh, Eight million is a lot of money. It's a yeah, it's a ton, and, and that's gotta put it. Look, I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying, you know, the salaries of some GMs who I've heard speculated on, but I don't absolutely know for sure in a reportable manner. But like, you hear other great execs, and it's speculated they're in that range. Like that's in the range of of the top great execs that you hear right. what they're making. Plus, he's also getting equity out of it reportedly. So. I mean, look, it's it's an extraordinary amount of money. It's it's way more than anything that was discussed with the Wizards. And I believe he went back to Denver in 2019 and said, here's the offer and got a raise out of it and ended up getting promoted to president. And that's when Calvin Booth gets promoted to general manager. Uh, you heard for a while that Minnesota with new ownership wanted to make a splashy hire over Gupta. Uh, I mean, I... I I, it's so funny because before they ended up going for Tim Connolly, I was talking to somebody in the league and we were just like spitting out names who could realistically be considered a splashy hire and who could you go get? Like, you're not going to like pull Joe Dumars back out of the league office. That's not that's not a splashy hire. Like, it's got to be somebody from a major organization who'd be willing to lose and who'd be willing to leave and and Connolly just kind of fits the bill because Masai leaves there and and because you know Denver has let him talk to other organizations before uh and and I think he has really close ties to Denver ownership but ultimately he does. like yeah. that's he's just, very close with Josh Kroenke. He's Kronke. really close with Josh Kroenke, yeah. yeah. And that's but that's a that's a that's a that's a really good offer. Like that, it is, that is and, really I, and I get it offer. for the from the T Wolves. It's not just you know. I mean, everybody's got their draft misses, right? But you, you find an MVP in the second round that that's gonna you know that's gonna make a career. Um, and but beyond that, I think Tim deserves a ton of credit for you know one of you know we keep we always talk culture, right? I know it's cliche, I know it's kind of overused, but it's real. We were talking Warriors culture earlier. Well, the the Nuggets have not, and they got to the conference finals once. They're still trying to find their way. But their culture is incredibly sound, and Tim has a lot to do with that. He's got an extremely unique personality where it's a combination of being inclusive, uh, but also being a leader, but a pretty quiet leader. The type of guy that doesn't feel the need 
to be the loudest guy in the room, to be, he's incredibly willing to also read the room and figure out who is better at, at certain parts of this life and this job than he is and utilize those people and put his ego on the side. And people in Denver love that guy. They're, they're, I guarantee you they hate that he's gone. They are fairly well positioned to keep marching forward without him. I will say that Calvin Booth has got a very good reputation. You know, you got Tommy Balsettis will move up in the front office. They've got some great people. But Tim was the one that, that made everybody feel special in that group. Uh, and that goes for the players, too. I mean, very close with Jokic, very close with Jamal Murray. Um, had a bond with these guys. So their beat writer out there, Mike Singer, our friend from the Denver Post, had tweeted recently, I'm forgetting which player this was, but it was a trade happened. And Tim essentially, you know, after the trade, one of the first things he did was he just wanted to take the player to lunch because he just gets tired of players getting handled and, and treated like assets. And he wanted to make sure this human, you know, felt like he appreciated his time in Denver and and they left the relationship in a good place. That's the kind of touch that he has. Uh, and then it comes down to putting the roster together. I mean, they're off to a good start in Minnesota. You know, it's, it's going to be a different challenge for him to put his own stamp on their culture that has already, you know, kind of started to be created. But I think it's a, a fantastic hire for that group. And, uh, and I understand why they went and got him. Yeah. I mean, look, it, part, another thing that he does in relation to the culture is, is inside a league where you know this as well as I do, there are so many front office people, coaches who just kind of try to keep their people in house and that's it. I don't know if there's, there might be other lead execs who campaign for their for their people to get jobs elsewhere and get promotions elsewhere as much as Connolly. I don't know if there's anyone who does it more. Right. Like when Wes Unsell Jr. got the Wizards head coaching job last year, like you have Tim Connolly calling up reporters and saying, put this on the record. Wes Unsell Jr. is going to be a fabulous head coach. That's an incredible hire. Right. Like he is pushing for assistant coaches to get promotions with other organizations. He's look, I have no doubt that part of the reason that Calvin Booth is kind of just considered was was so intuitively considered, yeah, yeah, yeah you just elevate Calvin Booth is because Tim Connolly's been talking up Calvin Booth yeah. for as 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 a future GM. I mean, I guess he was already a GM, but a future lead exec right. for years. Right. And he's been telling that to ownership for for years. So uh, that's something that that comes with with the culture as well. I'm I'm sure that's something that like Sachin Gupta would loves to hear, considering you know John Krasinski and and Shams reported that that Sachin is going to stay on with with Minnesota and and uh, you know is part of their long term plans. And he's a guy who's really well respected around the league, and I'm sure wants to be a number one with an organization at some point too. I'm I'm sure that's something that just greases the wheels in that relationship as well when Connolly comes in. Fred, I'm just happy that I didn't slow down Tim Connolly's career. You know, if you remember, we almost got kicked out of the bubble together when we made the mistake of having a glass of wine in quarantine on the, the patio of the uh, La Casitas or whatever that was called out there in Orlando. So it uh, seems like that was yesterday. Now he's on to bigger and better things in Minnesota. Um, the last box we're going to check on this week's episode of Tampering. Uh, let's, and and by, by the way, Sam, quick, quick thing. Yep, yep. Everyone mentions Jokic with Connolly's draft success, but it's like way deeper than Jokic. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like Monty Morris in the second round and – and the the Bones Highland, Bones Highland, yeah. I mean, they're just they're so. And I mean, Jamal's out. Where did you know, Jamal go? 
I mean, Jamal was high. But, uh, 11, yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, Jamal's but, a hell of a but player. But still, that's, that's, that's outperforming your, your draft position. There's, there's, you know, they, they were in a position to take a risk on Michael Porter Jr. And, and obviously he's hurt again, but in terms of the actual pick, like the talent is undeniable. I have given him a hard time before about not taking Donovan Mitchell. So I feel like I got to mention that, but you know, everybody has sure. misses. There's the Mitchell and there's, and there's Gobert. He drafted, but he drafted Nurkic. And then when he had to decide, remember there was a legitimate debate. Should they keep Nurkic or Jokic? Right. And, right, right, and, right. and 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 made the the Nurkic for Plumley deal, which was not some incredible trade, but at least he kept the right one. Uh he, he's found a lot of talent late. And and by the way, part of that goes to they have some international scouts there who have unbelievable reputations. And and I, I wonder if 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 he tries to bring over some scouts with him to, to Minnesota. That's something I'm genuinely curious well, and about. If you, but I mean, for the for the non-Nuggets fans out there that don't really know the people we're talking about, if you need a taste of like the culture that we're we're alluding to, go look up the video of when the Nuggets officials went out to Serbia to present Nikola Jokic with the MVP award and to surprise him in his home hometown, in his homeland. They 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 crossed the globe without him knowing. Um, and there's video out there that shows, you know, it's Tim Conley, it's Michael Malone, it's their whole group, you know, kind of being so incredibly warm and affectionate towards Jokic. And you see the bond they have. And it, it, it sounds sappy, but like in today's NBA, what are you trying to accomplish with your most talented players? You are trying to convince them that, again, they are not just pieces on a chessboard. They are some, you know, there are people who you would like to partner with for the long term to play this game at the highest level and accomplish as much as possible. It is a partnership. Tim's very good at being genuine in that way. And and now that is the challenge with Edwards, with Towns, with that group. Um, so I'm very curious to see it. Let's get out on this note. Uh, we got coaching searches still going on. The Charlotte one, with all due respect to the Hornets fans, I just feel like it gets ignored. It's like, oh yeah, Charlotte doesn't have a coach either. Obviously part of ways with James Borrego. Um I was I was ready for you to say, with all due respect to Hornets fans, it gets ignored, and I'm going to. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a little love, but like, there's some crossover here too, right? Like, Darvin Ham has been considered a serious candidate for the Hornets job, um, as Shams and I reported last week. You know, looking very much like the front runner for the Lakers job, and and all of the positivity and all the good chatter and vibes is about Darvin in that group, and and it's really not rocket science here. If you Combination of talking to people around the Lakers, but also just listening to, you know, some of the stuff Rob Palenka has said publicly since they decided to, to fire Frank Vogel about what they want in a new coach. He, you know, he's not describing, in my opinion, Terry Stotts. He's not describing Kenny Atkinson. He's describing Darvin Ham. When they talk about accountability, willingness to, you know, to command a locker room, you know, inspire respect among superstars. Um, that, those are a lot of things you hear about Darvin. You know, he was a Lakers assistant years and years ago, I think under Mike D'Antoni. Is that right, Fred? Did I get that wrong? Oh, no, it's I, I editing time. Know. Let's pull that up. All right. He he was a Lakers, you know, longtime assistant coach with the Bucks under Mike Budenholzer for quite some time and, and Ben rightfully pegged as somebody who was, you know, on that short list of next in line. Um, you know, the Darvin candidacy looks very real. Um, how does that hit you? I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense. He he also another thing to to point out is he actually does have head coaching experience. He was a head coach in 
and at the time was the the D League for the uh, the New Mexico Thunderbirds, the legendary New Mexico Thunderbirds. <laughs> that was like ten years ago, uh, and, and he's a former player, which can command some respect in the locker room. You know, la- last a former year player who once broke a backboard. If you don't know, who look once it up. broke a backboard. That's like his his that is his defining moment as a player i feel like yes. the fact that he broke a backboard and he was like a you know a, a hard-nosed tough player uh and and uh you know i, d- I did a story last year because he was one of the finalists for the wizards job you know he's he's gotten far in job searches before and uh you know i did a story last year where i i, I asked people who have worked with the finalists about what you know, kind of defines them as coaches. And I, I interviewed someone about Darvin Ham. Uh, and and the I asked one of the questions was what are his defining characteristics as a coach? Uh and and this person said to me that a lot of players, and rightfully so because of the clout they hold, just uh will jump into the locker room and 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 you need to have someone who will command the locker room. And and Darwin has this way of of commanding the locker room and and doing it in a way as both a coach and a former player. And he talked about how he's kind of gone through every single process that a coach needs to go to. Former player. Okay. Check it off. Uh former head coach. Okay. He did that in the G League. He has some experience within game management. And then also in a lot of former players, when they first come into coaching, will just kind of jump into an assistant coaching job and that's it. Darwin was in the video room. He was doing film edits. So he's got the um he's kind of got that that grind experience of like the video coordinators too. Uh, so so I think that may, has made him desirable to a lot of organizations and the people in Milwaukee speak very highly of both him and uh, you know fellow assistant there Charles Lee who has gotten a lot of uh, head coaching looks as well. So I, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm never surprised to hear his name come up in a in a head coaching conversation. Just to clean up uh, the little slice of his background that I botched there. So it was under Mike Brown with the Lakers. It was two years. Um, you know, player development role at that time. And you talk about, you know, the ability to potentially handle a tricky locker room. I mean, he was part of the Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard era. So he knows a little something about that. Um, and, and that is part of this Lakers charge. They are, you know, we'll see what happens here. And if, you know, if any of this is posturing at this point, but the Lakers continue to signal in a variety of ways that they do not intend to you know find some way hell or high water to part ways with Russell Westbrook that they are going to try to make it work that they look at it like and, and Magic Johnson actually this week uh, did an interview with our David Aldridge and talked about this the idea that he's got Russ has uh, one year left he's got a player option for 47 million dollars and that you know parting ways with Russ is going to come at the cost of having to give somebody a first round pick to take him um, or taking, <clears throat> as Magic mentioned, taking contracts that extend beyond this year and cut into your space in the future. And so it seems like the the wind is shifting towards the, you know, kind of project salvage Russ. And that means that the head coach is incredibly important because as I will say as, as great a job as Frank Vogel did, and he did a great job, the guy won a championship, um, that you know, you could sense, and I'm specifically talking about last season, that when it comes to, you know, the, just trying to have the right messaging and the right presence and the, and the right composure 
in that locker room when you've got, you know, what is it, five future Hall of Famers, that it wasn't easy for Frank. It wouldn't be easy for anybody. But personality-wise, he is, my understanding, my feeling is by and large a fairly non-confrontational, um, you know, type of coach. Darvin is, I think, closer to an Ime Udoka type where Ime has shown very early on here that he's not afraid to just look his guys dead in the eye and tell them, this is what I demand out of you. And if you don't do it, sit your ass down. That's all there is to it. I don't care what your salary is. I don't care what your name is. And it's going to probably take some of that if they're going to find any way to make the Westbrook thing work. And it seems like that's where the, the Lakers heads are at. Yeah. Look, there was a, there was a story that I wrote about Darvin last year where when he first, so he was an assistant on their Budenholzer in Atlanta and then went over with him to Milwaukee. And when Darvin first got to Atlanta, uh, I, mean, I guess this was years ago, there was a thing with, I forget if it was a player or a couple of players who were drinking on the plane and, and maybe drinking a little bit too much on the plane. And, you know, normally that's kind of just like a thing a head coach doesn't want to have to deal with at the NBA level. Uh, and it was very early in the year and Darwin looked at Budenholzer and just like, Budenholzer was about to get up to say something. And Darwin looked at Budenholzer and said, coach, I got this and went back and handled the whole thing. And never the players just listened and it just never happened again. Yeah. And that was that was thrown out to me as an example of like he has the difficult conversations. He takes care of it on behalf of his head coach and the players actually listen and respect it. And that was not presented to me as like a confrontational moment. Right. It was presented to me as as a as a he knows how to go through things that could be confrontational with while, while being strong without actually being confrontational. I mean, so, it does help. So that I he thought looks that like was Thanos. You know what I mean? <laughs> he looks like yeah. He's he's built like Desmond Bain. We like had just yeah. <laughs> Desmond Bain. You are being very kind to Desmond Bain. Desmond's jacked. <laughs> Darvin's like you know two X of Desmond. <laughs> uh, funny story, and we'll, we'll bounce on this. When the Bucks and the Suns were in the finals, um, we got this ridiculous rate at the Phoenician Hotel, very nice hotel in Phoenix. So staying way above our, our pay grade, and it was uh, Bucks beat writer Eric Name and I taking a little break from the day job to go to the pool. And uh, needless to say, it's just like you, if you're you got people all around at the pool and everybody kind of blending in together. And you kind of look across the way, and Eric's pretty friendly with with Darvin, and also Charles Lee was was with Darvin, and uh, you know seeing Darvin at the pool, like he he stood out a little bit. He he didn't exactly look like like I look when I look in the mirror. Uh, he's a big boy, and uh, I think that comes in handy with these kinds of moments too. But we'll see what the Lakers do. Um, I mean, the Hornets. Who knows? The Hornets like Darvin. I don't anticipate the Hornets paying as much for their coach as the Lakers probably will. I know that might be counterintuitive because. The Lakers are routinely accused of, of, you know, being cheap in certain areas, but it is as a subplot. Maybe I'm the only one who finds this interesting. I do find it somewhat fascinating that you got Mitch Kupchak out in Charlotte, the former, obviously, longtime Lakers executive, you know, conceivably thinking highly of, of Darwin as a possibility, um, you know, and kind of competing with his old team for his services. So we'll see. What happens there, I guess I should say as a disclaimer too, part of, of our reporting and this was Shams's intel was that the Lakers have not, it's not a matter of these three finalists and nothing else. They have left a window open, um, you know, for kind of a second tier of candidates um, that, that could still be in the mix. Adrian Griffin and Charles Lee were the two 
mentioned, they weren't all the way out of it just yet at this point. Um, I'm, I'm not thinking that, I know I'm going too far here, Fred, but like that the Doc Rivers candidacy, like to me, it is dead. You know, the Sixers have made it clear Doc's not going anywhere, but Doc had been tied to the Lakers for quite some time. So seems like Darwin is, is the direction and we'll see who knows, maybe by next week when we talk, uh, that'll actually happen. I just want Mike D'Antoni to end up in Charlotte. I don't think I, want Mike, I don't think it's happening. I want Mike D'Antoni to coach Lamelo Ball. I know it's all I want. Yeah, I mean the the chatter is it's I mean that that's something that I think Mitch was uh, fond of as well. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to be able to get that over the finish line. At least as we sit here talking today, uh, I don't think that'll be the case. So uh, we'll see. I mean, you hear the cliche all the time. There's only thirty of these jobs, and you know if you're a guy with Mike D'Antoni's resume and you can't get one of them, that kind of tells you. All you need to know. Yeah, that's interesting. What's your prediction for Charlotte? I honestly, I don't have a great feel for it. Beyond Darvin and beyond Mike, uh, can see you know, kind of not being the guy. Um, I don't know what direction they would go at that point. Um, you know, I, my Michael Jordan mind reading skills are are not working at the moment, but uh, we'll see. And uh, I'll let you get out here on on that, brother. Appreciate you, and, uh, and we'll talk to you next week.